HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. This week on Meet and Three, we bring you stories about the coldest, darkest season. We start in a California vineyard. It's cold, but it's wet, and things are still alive. There's a lot of life in this soil. We explore two frontiers of cocktail culture— luxury ice, and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes 25% of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the wintertime, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy, actually, for the bikes to sing upside down or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load, knows that country music's gonna save your soul, the Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. Damon Bolte is off in California where it's much more delightful weather. That's okay. The show must go on. Uh, so here we go in the studio here. Hey, thanks, bud. Here we go in the studio uh, at uh, HRN in the back of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We've got our special guest, Mark Maynard from Union Square Hospitality Group. Welcome to the studio, Mark. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. Again. Yeah, you got a lot of stuff going on. A little bit. I'm just trying to compete, keep up with you, bro. Let's come on. Uh, we are similar in age, which I just found out. I'm, we are. And I'm shocked to know it. We are. I didn't think you were that old. You look a lot better. Oh, come on. It's the Mutual Admiration Society all of a sudden. Yeah. Don't believe anything. Yeah. Um, so we got you on because we want to talk to you about a lot of things. So Union Square Hospitality Group, let's talk about that a little bit in your, your own career for a minute, and then we'll jump into what you're up to these days, because um, it's pretty fascinating to me. You, you mentioned to me before we got on the air that you've been with them for 26 years. Yeah, which is uh, officially half of my life, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people's entire lives. Yeah. A lot of the people that I work a, a with that you staff. work with, exactly. Yeah, right. That's their entire <laughs> exactly. life. Exactly, and, and a lot of the people we take care of every day, which is uh, mm-hmm. which is very true at Porchlight for sure. Um, yeah, I, like so many people in our industry, in the bar and restaurant industry, um, I was someone who kind of fell into it. Um, I grew up in a culinary family. I know, I know, you're a chef. Uh, my mother was a chef, so I was always her prep cook and uh, busboy uh, growing up, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, I, I actually was a designer. Um, I studied landscape architecture and, and uh, ended up in the restaurant business at Union Square Cafe in New York City. Um, as my first, that was my first job in New York, which was pretty cool, um, just because I was looking for a little extra work, a little side hustle. Yeah, right. While you're, yeah. While I was while doing... finding your feet as a yeah, young man. Yeah, exactly. And I, I had just moved to New York from um, Vermont. And uh, for anyone who's listening, New York is a lot more expensive than Vermont. Um, so now I, I really empathize. Secret revealed. Yeah, secret no, revealed in case you didn't that, know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I, I was working for an architect on 18th Street, and I was looking for a little extra dough and started as a host at Union Square Cafe. 
the venerable Union Square, Garden, right? Which, which exactly. is like it really started a lot of things. I can recall when I was a chef, I remember, um, I remember being like, kind of. This sounds so dumb, but I have a visceral memory of it. I remember being like, "Holy cow! They put graham cracker crumbs in the in the in the, <laughs> in the breading for their for their calamari. That's genius." I think it took a year for me to learn that secret. You know, it was and like the, one of those things that well, they unlocked a book and told me. Yeah, you know? and then and then in fact, at the restaurant that I worked at at that time, we took that and and did it with ginger snaps instead. Yeah, so you have this kind of gingery bite. On yeah, the that calamari. sounds great, and, and it's it still brown, that great texture. It would brown really quickly because it had some sugar in it. Um, because you want to cook calamari really quick, but you still want it to be nice and brown, right? So sometimes just panko, it looks pallid, right? Right, it does. So yeah. this added like a layer of brown. It was crunchy and another layer of flavor. Like I was like, oh my God, these guys are geniuses. It's pretty cool because I think one of the reasons I stayed, I've stayed with our company for so long is that there are so many sort of food geeks in our company. Um, and uh, I love that. I've been surrounded by a lot of people who are really smart about things like that. And and it's been really cool to sort of evolve, whether it was Union Square Cafe or Blue Smoke or um, other places that I'm at. Jazz Standard, I ran a jazz club for a while. Uh, well, yeah, you climbed the ranks at, at Union Square, Hosp- uh, Union Square I, Cafe. I clawed my way to the top. From host all the right. way to GM. From host to GM, yeah. And right. that's no joke at any yeah. place, much less that place. Enough people, you know, actually, it's, it's one of those cool things that if you stick around long enough... Um, People just fall out of the People way. Leave. No, but also we were opening other places. So sure. it was great. So in 1994, Gramercy Tavern opened and then 11 Madison Park and Tabla opened. And so whenever that, whenever that happened, it created a, a void somewhere. Either someone moved to go open that place um, and I was able to maybe take their job. Um, and then when Blue Smoke opened, finally I had kind of done every job or many jobs at Union Square Cafe. It was, that was sort of my chance to open a new place. So that was pretty cool after nine years. Blue Smoke, the barbecue arm of the, of right. the company, right? Right. And, and many locations of that as well. Right, yeah. And, and at the time, um, really the only places, uh, really no one was really doing what we were trying to do uh, with barbecue, um, which is really hard to believe for anyone who hasn't been uh, in New York City uh, for a long time. But at, at the time, it was kind of a I don't want to say revolutionary because like that sounds really self-important, but it was um, something that people I really hadn't done, like taking this idea of barbecue and uh, infusing it with amazing service and hospitality and really good desserts and side dishes. Um, and so, and doing it at a, at a sort of New York way. Uh, we weren't trying to change the barbecue, but we were trying to really serve New Yorkers and, and tourists and things like that. Uh, so it was, it was super fun to do that. Um, I think, Easily took a few years off of my life um, doing that, as any opening does. Um, you know, our, I think our first, uh, you know, we averaged about a thousand guests a day at Blue Smoke at, at for many years, um, including Jazz Standard, which was in the basement. Um, and that was just really learning how to tame that tiger was was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you ride it, sometimes it rides you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think for years it was riding us. Yeah. You know. But you got it under control, and you opened several other locations mm-hmm. of the same concept. Yeah, opened <clears throat> opened at Battery Park City, opened at City Field, Washington, Washington Nationals Park, ultimately even um, JFK Airport. So, right. kind of, kind of amazing to think, you know, that that we've served a lot of people, you know, in different sort of neighborhoods and different parts of their lives, and it's been pretty fun. Yeah, it's pretty outrageous to, yeah. to consider the volume that you do over there. But so to do that, you had to you had to travel to sort of my neck of the woods, yeah. as, as we say, where I'm from. And you went down south a bunch to, to eat barbecue, yeah. check out barbecue. And that was really that really sort of planted the seed for me. I mean, I, I grew up in Connecticut, you know, so I, we didn't, you know, to me down south was uh, Manhattan. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't really, I didn't really have any exposure to the South except uh, I think in middle school every kid does the pilgrimage, you know, to like Monticello. Right. Um, that was, and and I think that's not necessarily the South. Right. Um, and uh, to you Southerners, um, and so that's really where I first got exposed to the incredible hospitality and food and culture and music of the South, and and just how it's all woven together, um, and. Um, really one of the biggest things I did was, uh, join the Southern Foodways Alliance, which is, um, just a really fantastic organization, uh, based out of Ole Miss and Oxford, Mississippi. Yep. Um, and together, um, really with Danny, um, and, and a few of his partners and John T. Edge, um, of the Southern Foodways Alliance, we created the, uh, 
Big Apple Barbecue Block Party. Yeah, which is crazy. Which is, which is crazy, which we've since sold uh, a couple of years ago. But it was one of those amazing events that, that really sort of brought together the food and the music and the, and the spirit of the South in New York City. And, and, and I really, that's, that's really what, when my sort of love affair with the South began. And so this, let's talk about Big Apple Barbecue for a second, because yeah. I love that thing. It's a, such a fun thing to go to. It's uh, like, how many vendors are typically there? We started with six our first year, and I think the last couple of years has been uh, like 14 or 15. Um, and it's funny, you know, you call them vendors. We, we call them the talent. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it was just kind of interesting because it was always meant to be a celebration of, of their craft. And, and, and that was just super fun for us and and you know a bunch of uh, you know a bunch of new yorkers not that we were all from new york but we were certainly running businesses in new york right to to really become a part of that family was was pretty pretty amazing yeah and then you roll up and you get you buy a ticket and you go in and you get to try all this barbecue yep. from all over the place yeah and and, <clears throat> and it was great because people people you know as new york has so many transplanted uh people that you know there may be people who hadn't been back to Texas in a couple of years. And so they could find their favorite place from Texas or, or Mississippi or, or Illinois or exactly you know, everybody, yeah. you know, everybody goes home. That's the, that's right. The, that's the thing you want to, the heartstrings that you want to pluck on. I think when, when you're serving people, right. If you can remind them of something from home, you, right. you will win them every time. Absolutely. Um, you know, a side story, I have a buddy who, who works in virtual reality and he, he plugged me into the Google Maps virtual reality, which is free, by the way. If, you, if you've got the cardboard, really? you can slide your phone into the cardboard and you, you, do, you do the thing. And he was watching on a screen what I was seeing inside the headset. And he said, just go somewhere. And, and, and at first I went to Amori Margo, of course, the right. bar. And he said, no, just go somewhere. And I was like, okay. And, and he goes, where are you at? Because he could see it. There's a house, right? And he's like, where are you at? And I'm like, this is the house I grew up in. He's like, everybody goes home. Wow. Everybody. That's amazing. Like 100%. Right, I got to do that home. tomorrow. So, but the, what That's I'm great. saying is yeah. that relates to our business in such Absolutely. a way where if you can give someone an experience or a delight that reminds them of home, mm -hmm. you really, you really, you, you got them. Yeah. We, we, in fact, we say, so that. I'm, I mean, I'm on the same, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is I'm the same. I go to that right. big apple barbecue. Cause I'm like, yeah, man, let's right. get some barbecue right. from home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it, and it's fun. And, and, and also if you can then share it with other people, Absolutely. um, who, who are, pretty, you know, if, if you grew up in the rural section of Eastern Tennessee, you're, you're maybe not likely to bring your friends there, but you might be able to sort of share that experience with them in some way in, you know, in Madison Square Park in New York City. So all your time at uh, Blue Smoke and then the Big Apple Barbecue yep. and then all that travel to the South, this is yep. incubating the notion yes. for what eventually becomes Porchlight. Porchlight, yeah. Talk and about Porchlight. Yeah. So Porchlight was our first uh, standalone bar. Um and, and that was, it was really cool because in 2002, when we opened Blue Smoke, we were our first, uh, Blue Smoke was our first sort of program, our, our first restaurant. And, and again, the jazz club is a really key component to it that had um, something other than wine as a major focus. Um, all of our, our first four restaurants were very fine dining and either had very small beer lists um, and small cocktail lists or where those guests really gravitated towards, towards wine. Um, and so when we opened, we knew we were going to have a big beer list and a big, um, a big spirits list of some sort. Uh, and eventually that became whiskey, um, kind of makes sense with the Southern theme and, um, and cocktails. And, and, you know, I know you have the ultimate, you know, the people who listen to the show are, are, mostly bartenders and, and people who really appreciate the spirits. Nerds. Nerds. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and we have a section on our menu at Portsite called Nerdy. Um, oh, nice. And, uh, but it's hard to imagine that in 2001, when we were designing, Port, uh, excuse me, uh, Blue Smoke, that most places weren't squeezing their own juice. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the cocktail bars on whose shoulders we stand hadn't, they weren't out yet, you know. They didn't exist yet, right? Um, so you weren't around yet then nope. for me to for me to sort of copy off of, um, and so that was one of the most uh, like crazy things that we did was we just started, you know, squeezing our juice like right before the shift, and you know, of course, every bartender was like, "There's no way that'll work." Um, you know, and we yeah. were serving. There's no way we'll be able to keep up. We can't do this, right? To, what, what are you talking exactly, about? Exactly, you insanity. know. And my answer was usually like, "Do you like money?" Um, yeah. you know, um, people were willing, what we learned really quickly 
was that people were willing to spend an extra dollar on a real cocktail than something made with a canned or bottled juice. Um, and they really noticed the difference. And so the challenge at Blue Smoke was that we didn't know, going back to the, the monster that it was, we didn't know what it was like to serve 120 margaritas uh, a night. You know, so that kind of that's a lot of juice and it really starts to add up. And that was only one of 12 cocktails, you know. Right. Um, unfortunately, our number one seller um, at the time, we, we had a um, we had a, a margarita and a, a mojito sort of variation. The, the mojito came off the menu pretty quickly, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> because we couldn't we really literally couldn't serve 90 or 120 of those a night. It was it was pretty brutal. Um, insanity, but that's great. And it's, it, it, though it's still shocking to me. Cause you say like, who, who were we in 2001 to think that we should squeeze our own juice yet? You, Union Square, um, cafe had been there right. and all the, and all the other concepts that came, came, came along. Every bit of in, intent and focus is there on the food. Right. Why were cocktails left out? You think back then? That's a, that's a really good question because, you know, I, we didn't even have menu, um, cocktails printed on the menu at Union Square Cafe. Um, 11 Madison and Tabla did have a cocktail list and, and, um, and Gramercy Tavern did as well. Um, I, I remember, uh, Nick Mautone who was, who was, uh, at Gramercy Tavern, he created a, a good cocktail list there. Um, but it just didn't get the attention, I think, because of the people who were dining there. I mean, just to be to be frank, I mean, most people who can afford a really expensive dinner, um, they tend to be what is now my age or older, um, and they might get a Manhattan, which was a delicious Manhattan, but they didn't really care what the bartender was tinkering with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's what's been really cool to see and as a lot of our places have, um, we have either a casual portion of the business, um, like the tavern at Gramercy Tavern or the bar room at the Modern, or places like Porchlight, which are really just frankly less expensive. Um, we have a much more diverse clientele who go there and those people tend to be way more curious. Um, so... Back in the day, in the 90s, you know, people were curious. They just weren't really, they didn't want to t be adventurous with a cocktail. Would you say that they're, they're, they're more curious and they're younger? Because you mentioned mm -hmm. their age earlier. So you think, Absolutely. So you've skewed younger. Well, they're and, curious about different things, I yeah. think. Um, because they can't, you know, again, the Union Square Cafe um, guest um, at, at that time, actually, interestingly, the Union Square Cafe guest has gotten younger, which has been pretty cool for us. Um, and I think that's largely because of our bar program, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Um, but, you know, if you most people, most 25 or 30 year olds couldn't afford a $200 bottle of wine. Right. You know, but they might order at the time, you know, a $12 cocktail that didn't exist. Right. So so that's what when as soon as we opened Blue Smoke, we started to see that like, whoa. Okay, these was, these you know, eleven dollar cocktails are actually selling. That's pretty it was, cool. It was money you were leaving on the table, right? Exactly. You, you weren't you weren't identifying that that people would would spend that, so you weren't right pitching it to them. So right. then they weren't ordering it. So then and then that's the what we started eats to, itself. Yeah, correct. And and then that's what we started to notice, especially at Tabla, which which unfortunately um, uh, is no longer in business. But but they had they ended up having a really young clientele that followed them with their cocktails. Um, I think their problem was the space was just too big. Yeah. All right. Well, tell you what, let's take a break here uh, and hear from our sponsors. Um, before we go away, though, I want to uh, shoot a quick shout out to my buddy Evan Freeman. He's my Heritage Radio Network Hall of Fame nominee for February 2019. Uh, we're doing Hall of Fame nominees each month uh, to celebrate Heritage Radio Network's 10 years. Evan Freeman's my nominee because he's a, a pioneer in the, in, the co in the cocktail world and, and just a general all-around good guy. And as a matter of fact, it happens to be his birthday today. So happy birthday to Evan Freeman. Hey, Evan. Happy yeah. birthday. Yeah, man. Cool. Uh, so we'll be right back with more from Mark Maynard of Union Square Hospitality Group. This episode is brought to you by MoFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MoFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MoFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, 
tracing their nearly 170-year history and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFad's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. And we are back uh, at the Speakeasy here at Roberto's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. In the studio today, got Mark Maynard from Union Square Hospitality Group. We've talked about your career starting as a very young man and a host at uh, Union Square um, Cafe, then all the way up to general manager. Mm -hmm. Then you helped create Blue Smoke and all of its iterations. Then you got the bug from the south and created Porch Light, a bar that's kind of dedicated to all things southern. And it's a standalone bar. It's still the only one, right? Uh, we also opened a, uh, well, it's the only cocktail bar to date. Dun, dun, dun. Um, we also like, opened, did I just crack into something? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, you did. Nice. Um, we also uh, opened a wine bar called Vini Fritti. Oh, um, right. That's which you too. Is, yeah. Which is pretty cool. Which, um, again, we might have stolen part of your Amaro list. That's fine. Um, the high tide raises all boats. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so that's our sort of Italian-focused uh, wine bar. Vini Fritti, wine and fries. Vini Fritti, it's awesome. Sounds great. Yeah. Great. Uh, where is that? Uh, that's on 30 East 30th Street. 30th, all right, cool. Yeah, it's great. It's in the back of Marta, which is... Uh, oh, we okay, have, uh, cool. I've been to Marta several lovely times. Lovely pizzeria, and next to it is um, Cafe Marchio, which is sort of an all-day cafe, um, pastries. So that's a, our sort of little Roman, part of our Roman empire over there, Yeah, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um. So you've got a book coming out called The Next Frontier of Restaurant Management. It's going to be published later this year. I don't think you have any competition with it. Um, no? You're not comp- yeah. not, I'm not competing with your book? <laughs> yeah. In fact, you know, it's funny. You did you did your book launch at Porchlight. I did. Um, you want to do yours at more? Yeah, I think so. Because, <laughs> I mean, what can you fit? Like 18 people there? You know, uh, maybe yeah. 25? Sure. You know, there you go. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh, so I, I actually... I speak at Cornell on a regular basis, which is which is one of the more fun things I do. In fact, I'm going up there this weekend. Um, and uh, over time, I, I was asked to help write a textbook for the hotel school at Cornell. Um, and and so that's been really fun. It's been a fun project, um, pretty scary project actually. But I was I co-wrote it with someone who has like five PhDs, so he actually knew what he was doing. Um, See, I wish I had that guy, Mike Warren. Yeah, so he was the sort of play-by-play, and I did the color commentary. Got so it. it was it was pretty cool. So I had to know enough to be dangerous, but um, he's the one who who made sure I uh, uh, I actually did everything properly. Uh, his name is Alex Suskind, um, and he's the associate dean of the hotel school, which is which is pretty cool. So they approached you to write this book. Yeah, well, he and I he and I have been talking. Um, so I've been speaking in his classes for probably 10 years or so. Oh, wow. okay. And, and, and I approached him about maybe writing an article together and, and he said, Hey, you know, I actually need to write a book as part of my, uh, my job here. So let's write a book together. Um, and the premise of the book is that, you know, so many of us in the restaurant and bar business are intuitive and that's what we use to guide us. He's a researcher. Um, so he, he grew up in restaurants as well. Um, but at a certain point he pivoted, towards research and I pivoted towards operations, um, both in our probably thirties. And he really dives deep into researching every aspect of the guest experience. Um, and so he's presenting in the book, we present, I think maybe 12 or 15 different studies. Um, and he sort of interprets them as a researcher and I interpret them as a, as a guy who schmoozes for a living. Right, right. You're reading it intuitively. He's reading it right. by the data, and and so it's pretty cool. So it's it's uh, I think what the subtitle of the book, which uh, is coming out, I think in June, is leveraging data to improve the guest experience, improve the employee experience and the guest experience. But that's not actually it. But it's something like that, yeah. where we talk about how to improve the the lives of our employees and the lives of our guests, which is something you're always striving to do at your company, right? But it's rare that you actually have someone who can analyze what you're doing um, 
Uh, so that's actually pretty fun. Um, yeah, I mean, to actually see data and crunch it. Because you're right. right. I think we do operate in an intuitive manner behind the bar or, or in service in general. Um, you know, you, you simply become better at reading people when you literally deal with hundreds of people a day. Right. You know, I don't know the data, but I do know that there's a wide disparity between the average person's interactions with human beings per day and mine. Right. Exactly. I don't know what that data is, yeah. but I know it's huge. And I think, you it's, know, it's, it's interesting because... Some, 10 to 1,000. And you, you run three businesses right now. Um, you know, sometimes it's like, well, why are things better on this night than on another night? Well, sometimes it's as simple as because person X is quicker at greeting guests. Yeah. You know, it's it's things like that. Creates that, a better flow right like from the beginning. It's really amazing that, that something like that can uh, can make an impact. Well, speaking of caring for your guests yeah. uh, and your employees, one of your employees, my good friend Nick Bennett, sent over this flask. What's in it? So it's a... Uh, it's a reverse Holy cow. Presidente okay. cocktail. I'm colorblind, but this is not a normal color. So that is, trust me, that's that's bright blue. Um, <laughs> it goes really well with your red glasses. Um, and and so it's knowing that it was midday um, and knowing that I'm a lightweight, he didn't want to give me um, only Ray and Nephew um, overproof rum. So what he did was, th- he, this is um, uh, uh, more vermouth. Uh, it's our blend of of dry um, and blanc vermouth, um, Ray and nephew, and just a, enough blue curacao to be dangerous. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's this bright blue baby, um, hearkening back to his uh, gunmetal blue that he created that will never come off the menu because it's too Instagrammed. Yeah, um, no, let's talk about Instagram. Yeah, or let's not. Well, speak, has, by the way, what did I just say? Let's talk about Instagram. And then what am I doing right you're, now? You're, it's, it's pretty embarrassing, people. He's, what am I doing is, right now? Like, he's taking a picture. I'm taking a picture of this blue cocktail for Speakeasy Radio Instagram. <laughs> um, Thank you, Nick Bennett. Thanks, Nick B. Uh, he and I worked together twice. We worked together yeah. at uh, Booker and Dax. And, yep. of course, he worked at Amore Margo so yep. many, many, seems like thousands of years yeah. ago. That smells lovely. Uh, it does smell lovely. Let's taste it. Ooh. Yeah, I'm glad that's not a 50-50. Frankly, ooh, that's delightful. Yeah, it's you know, delightful. it's yeah. juicy and bright. And yeah. that Nick, he can mix a drink. And now we probably shouldn't have it on. Um, uh, you could try it on the air without choking. But uh, uh, our chef, Anton Nocito, also made you some um, salt and vinegar popcorn. Oh, red. Which is, uh, which is something that we're working on. Uh, it's uh, for a new menu somewhere. Oh, somewhere. Somewhere. So it's rainbow? actually it's actually kind of interesting that because we have popcorn on our menu at Porchlight and it's it's um it's just really incredibly addictive. So we're working on a new project and and he wanted to create something equally addictive. Um and it's also been kind of fun because Nick um he hopes to with with one of our new places which I, I will talk about. One of one of them I could talk about. Um to kind of create maybe another sort of version of a Porchlight cocktail uh in the new one in the new bar um which which would be kind of fun where we have like these dueling things where theoretically people could go and try the same a different version of the same cocktail sure at you know if we ultimately have three or four bars yeah without cannibalizing you're, you're right. still yeah. still offering a thread like a different twist a different yeah, yeah. twist which would be which would be pretty fun so you got two more places opening up you can you can't talk about one yeah bit. so so the one i can talk about um is called cedric's um and uh it's called Cedric's at the Shed. Um, the Shed is this awesome new uh, arts institution, art, arts organization um, in the Hudson Yards uh, development that you've probably heard about. Uh, mm-hmm. And and it's this really, um, this the coolest thing about this organization is that they really want to integrate all of the arts. So it's visual arts, performing arts, so everything from you know painting and sculpture to um to dance and and you know music and there one of the things that excited us most about this project and why we really got involved is that they want to sort of turn the arts organiza- the arts institutions on their heads and they're really skewing they want to really attract 25 to 40 year olds which is kind of going back to what we were saying earlier is what is kind of who we take care of at Porchlight right now um, and and we think that's going to be a really fun thing and and give us some ability to be a little bit more creative um, and yet we want it to be a neighborhood bar. Right. Um, it's going to have an entrance on 30th street. Um, so you can sort of approach it from either 30th street or, um, 
or from within this, uh, you know, in the building itself. The big Hudson Yard thing, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be fun, and we're working on that, and that's like an April-ish opening. Wow, So coming up. So, yeah, we got a lot going on. Cedric's at the Shed. Cedric's at the Shed. We'll have a website eventually. I think we have a logo as of last night. Nobody looks at websites anymore. Yeah. Uh, Internet's a dang thing. Yeah, it'll it'll never make it. Right. Fad. Uh... And then, uh, and then you got another one that's on the horizon too, but you can't talk about that. Yeah, one. Yeah, so. another one in the fall that I can't really talk about All yet. Right. Um, but uh, but that's another. You know, my what I've learned is that um, this whole neighborhood bar thing is is pretty cool. As I tell the guy who who knows how to run a neighborhood bar, you know, I I <laughs> my story of success is is skewed for sure. I still refer to Amori Margo as the bumblebee, which means uh, you know it's it's not aerodynamically sound, but somehow it flies. Right. Um, right. Blue quarter, uh, you know, I, I call I call Amori Margo the shoebox. Blue quarter is the jewel box, right? It's yeah. adorable, right? And then uh, and then windmill is our more neighborhoody one, right. higher ceilings, brighter lighting, but with, but with a French thread, so it's like a neighborhood bar in France. But I think what's cool about um, Amori Margo is that even though it has a very sort of theoretically narrow focus, mm-hmm. you could walk in there and be incredibly well taken care of, as if you were like if you whether you were a tourist or whether you were an Amaro. Um, pilgrim, and I think that's that's kind of cool about it that you have that ethos of a neighborhood bar, even though you have the sort of nerdiness behind it. I mean, I think that y- you you and your company have um, really been tip of the spear on putting hospitality first, um, but that's always been my focus as well. Yeah, you know, I, I I try and remind myself and my staff that you know. We're in New York City, man. There's there's literally thousands of bars where people can go and get just as good a drink. We have to be nicer. Yeah. Right? We have to be more hospitable. We have to be more welcoming. All those things. Um, and that's what's gotten us where we are. I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that. And as you know, that wasn't always the case. Oh, no. God, yeah. no. Well, yeah. you know, we've talked about this on the show before. We, we yep. it, was a, it was a phase we had to go through. You know, uh, we had to kind of like put on our arm garters and wax up our mustaches and stomp right. our feet and say, right. look, we're serious about this. Right. Pay attention to how serious I am about this. Right. I'm going to be holier than you for a while. And when you finally get how serious I am about this and that it's a true thing and it's a profession and a career, then I can relax and yeah. wear my Hawaiian shirt to work and talk, <laughs> you know, make jokes. I loved your, actually, I loved the episode. I think you called it the gatekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, was a great that episode. Was, that was one of my Sunty favorites, Daddy which and, is great. And, and Paul from next door. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty cool about. Yeah. How, how those two run those doors. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, um, a little bit about hospitality, but then let's jump yeah. into how you take care of your guests and, and the big controversy in the room, hospitality included over dun, there. Dun. Bum, well, it's bum. not a controversy in this room. Well, maybe with you it is. <laughs> it is. All right. Get on your boxing All right, gloves. here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so our company, um, starting in 2015, um, Danny, um, Danny Meyer, um, started talking about um, really wanting to professionalize the industry, um, which, was, which was something that was, was really important to him and um, to us. And in a lot of different conversations and, and really a lot of a sort of journey that he went on, he decided um, and then shared with us um, his desire to eliminate tipping. Um, and <gasps> big gasp, dun, dun. Yeah. especially, uh, especially talking to a, to a bunch of bartenders. Um, and so over the course of three years, most of our businesses, uh, went from a tipping sort of model to a non-tipping model. And partially because, um, I was reluctant and partially because Porchlight was a bar and, and, uh, we really wanted to learn from our predecessors and my peers, um, Porchlight was one of the last people, the last businesses to, um, to, to adopt sort of it. convert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in November of this year, in November of 2018, uh, a few months ago, uh, we, we converted. Um, and as I say, with pretty much everything in life, the jury is still out, but it has been an incredibly smooth transition, um, for, for most parties. Um, and, and I think it's, um, it, we're really trying to engage with the team, um, because it's not perfect, like a lot of things. Um, and, and I know we're going to talk about, you know, the, the good, the good of the bad and the ugly of hospitality included. Um, and we invested a ton of time in each individual person talking about 
you know, what their lives would look like in a, in a non-tipping model. Um, and Samantha Reiner, our general manager, um, and I, um, sat with every employee and sort of looked at their pay for the past, however long they had been there, whether it was six weeks or to some people, three and a half years of this is how you've been paid over the past X number of, of months. And this is what it will look like in the future. Um, and I worked with our accounting teams and, and uh, financial analysts to really figure out how to make it work for all of us. Um, and we're now um, a few months in and, and it's, it's going okay. Um, it, Sam, Samantha, and she kind of the way we played it was that she really wanted to sort of focus on the employee experience and I wanted to focus on the guest experience. Um, and just so we kind of each became an advocate for each sort of constituency. Um, and so we talked a lot about, you know, how to make sure the pay was good, um, while not alienating our guests. Um, and then the other thing was, um, to really help our back of house, our culinary team make more money. Um, because, um, even though our pay rates are considerably more than, than the average restaurant, you know, employee worker um uh, in the back of house at our bar since we were smaller we were able to pay a little bit more we wanted to still even give a little bit more or, or have the ability for their for people to have a future in our industry um whether they're a prep cook or a bartender i can i can totally see that you know uh, as a former back of the house guy i was in the back of the house for 12 years i can understand wanting to kind of spread the wealth a little um but and, and I also understand what it, what it means in New York City, especially, and we're seeing articles of, of all, all kinds of, uh, um, especially metropolitan areas that are struggling to find back of the house talent at the at the prices that are that we're able to pay based on the fact that we have to sell that food at a price that the customer still won't pay for and right. and pay the rent, right? Right. So I get that the squeeze is always on the back of the house, right? But I, I'm still really at, at face value a little bit confused about how you go about thinking. Let's take from one area and put to the other. Well, let's, I think it's, that's actually a really, uh, it's an interesting and, and premise to, to actually just sort of debunk a little bit. Um, I think one of the things that we've done, I think just by your question, you're assuming that if a bartender made X, they're going to necessarily make a little bit less now to pay the back of house a little bit more. We have worked very hard to have that not be the case. Right. Um, now what we, in the short term, we investors, we are, we partners are the ones who are, who are um, bearing the brunt, bearing totally. the brunt. Mm -hmm. and, and that is absolutely on purpose um, because we know we have 15 more years left in the porch light lease. And so we don't need to make it all tomorrow. Um, and I think over time we're going to see how that, how it plays out. But the intent is not to have anyone um, make less money. Um, are there cases where they do? Absolutely. Are there cases where they're making more? Absolutely. Um, and so we've we've sort of it, it's a really complex thing that I, I is both confidential and it probably wouldn't make sense to do on the radio. Um, but we've developed this model with like all these pages of spreadsheets where if you're the number one bartender or the number two bartender, you're you're being preserved. And, and we have a way of, of doing that based on your skill set and based on the hours you work. Um, and it's something that we've had, again, I, I think we've had pretty good luck with or pretty good uh, fortune with, I don't think it's luck. I, you know, I, I say this all the time on the radio and in life, uh, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right. So exactly. it sounds like you've done some work to get this luck. Right. Now, I think it's interesting because one of the things that we've committed to the staff is that we are, um, going to keep in touch with them. So we've had, uh, two monthly, um, uh, roundtables with the team to hear to hear what they have to say, and and it's not perfect. Um, the other challenge of, is is that each month is different. You know, January is a lot slower than December, so everyone was really happy in November, December, and guess what? In January right. and February, they're not as happy. If but that's had, normal. Had, had they been tipped, they they would have also made less money than you know that second week in December when we all re that's the that's the one week we all want to remember. Right. Um, but honestly, one of the downsides. Uh, or, or something that we're, I don't know if it's a downside or just a readjustment is that buzz of working. You're the service bartender and you get that walk-in of 30 people and you bang it out and you make an extra $80. 
that doesn't happen now because that money is now uh, shared differently. Um, and because those tips aren't all going to you. Right. Um, and that was one of those things that, that the, some of the feedback has been that adrenaline rush is mm. something I'm, I'm missing out on a little bit. Um, and so we frankly haven't solved that. Um, but that's something where like a lot of us who've chosen the bar industry are doing it because of adrenaline. Um, in addition to for money, sure, you know, um, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. there are certainly easier ways to make a good a good living in New York City. But I say, I, that I, adrenaline rush is I awesome. Firmly believe that if I don't go through all four gears in, in a single service, it, it basically wasn't worth it. Right. Like I need to right. hit fourth gear at some point. Right. Or it's just like eh, last night kind of sucked. If you don't need a shower after work, then you haven't done your job. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I think those are some of the things that we're working on. Um, and and in fact, we're we're doing a. a the staff may not even know this yet, but uh, we're doing a survey um, uh, next week with the staff, uh, an anonymous survey um, where they can give us feedback, you know, anonymously. And ca- I mean, we only have 25 employees, but but still, you know, not everyone may feel comfortable coming to a roundtable and speaking out um, yeah, either yeah, positively or negatively. Sometimes sure. sometimes mm-hmm. people don't want to be the uh, be seen as the um, cheerleader if everything's going great for them, because, again, there are some people who. Maybe for whom this is working really yeah. well. Yeah. Um, what, so go what, ahead. So as you mentioned before, um, you know, intuition is a huge part of what we do. After, especially after, you know, I've been I've been in this field literally all my life. I've been back in the house in front of the house for wow. Okay, I don't want to talk about how long, but yeah. Um, my dad owned a bar when I was a kid. You know, like, <sighs> I was twelve years old in that bar. And you still went into the industry. Yeah. Well, I went to the back of the house. I was chef That's first. But uh, that intuition is still there, and that intuition to me is also based on you know the informal data that I've collected over my own life, which says that when I go to places, and when I say places, I mean countries, right. when I go to countries where there is no uh, tipping culture, say France, Spain, Italy, um, I feel like the one thing that I care the most about, and I think that you care the most about, is the thing that suffers. Does the food suffer? No. Does the wine suffer? No. Does the service suffer? Hell yeah. That's really interesting because I, I just last week came back from Barcelona, and um, I've told this story to the staff, or, you know, some members of my team a few times. That there's a restaurant, uh, there's a bar there called Paradiso, which is is getting a ton of press. Um, you know, one of the best bars uh, in in Barcelona for sure. And I was uh, I was concerned that you know I was going to go to this place and it was going to be super, you know, I don't know snooty. Um, it's hard to say, uh, you know, it's just, and one of the amazing things that I found, cause it's, it's one of these cocktail bars where they like, you know, have things foaming and, and smoking and, and things like that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. Because All the I, bells and whistles. Right. Everyone's telling me I have to go there and I couldn't go to Barcelona without going there. And so part of my expectation was that it was going to be, you know, kind of a, a D bag place. And, <laughs> and I walked in the door I've been trying to watch my language this this episode because I know. (laughs) No, you can say whatever you want, you know. (laughs) Um, And so I walked in the door and every single bartender, there's four of them, turned and said hello. Right. And if you've ever been to a Waffle House, which I know you have. Of course. That was my first cooking job. That is is one of those things. Like I felt I was walking into a Waffle House. Meanwhile, it was only candlelight. It could not have been darker. Um... Everyone was dressed in black and, you know, super trendy. And it's, and I was like, that's amazing. That bartender has two shakers in his hand. There's, it's, they don't allow too deep at the bar. You know, it's, everyone's sitting. It's quite busy. And as they, they like, the door must creak open. Yeah. And every single person said, you know, hello. Right. Um, actually, so what they said was, que tal? Um, right, it's like going into a Japanese restaurant. And, and so I didn't feel like, you know, I had a. I, I don't feel like the service suffered. Um, well, there, okay, so we're splitting hairs here, but that's okay. hospitality. Okay, service is another thing, right? True. I feel like my intuition is that when I'm in France and I go to lunch and I say, "Oh, I'm going to have a whatever a glass of wine and the salad of frisee, right. followed by the salmon entree, and 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 maybe we'll talk dessert later," and then my wine doesn't come till I'm finished with my frisee, right? right. So now there's a loss of service, right? Okay, so I'm right. feeling like, where was my wine the whole time with right. My, right. my salad? But then also I think to myself, okay, not just on service, 
on business. Right, right. If that As guy the had capitalist to, in you. If that guy like, had to deliver that wine on time, I would have ordered a second, second glass one, for my right, entree. Right. But meanwhile, this one just arrived when my entree right. did. So, so now the house is losing. I'm not as happy as I could be as the guest, right? So, and I feel like all of that comes down to the fact that the incentive for him to work harder, him, him or her to work right. harder, isn't there like it is in our country, right. which says that if this guy serves me well, I'm going to treat him well, right? Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of that's going to come down to the hiring process, and and you know our job as leaders is is always to lead, um, and one of the things that we look for. When we hire people is people who are intrinsically motivated. You know, I can't, I can't teach you to want to work hard, um, nope. you know, and, and I can't teach you whether you're motivated by money or just by whatever self-esteem to want to take care of people. Um, and, you know, so we, we focus a lot on sort of what your parents taught you, um, not what I can teach you. Um, right. I might be able to, or not I, Nick Bennett might be able to take you how to teach you how to make a better cocktail. Um, but I can't teach you how to be nice or how to how to really want to do things well. Um, and so I like to surround myself with people like that. And and that's been one of the luxurious parts of my job is that since I get to do a lot of the hiring, um, is that I get to surround myself with a lot of people who are motivated by themselves without me. Right. You know, um, telling them to show up to work on time or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think, again, jury's still out. But like a place like The Modern, which was our first... Um, hospitality included business is doing really well. It's doing really well in terms of their, you know, scores on Yelp. It's doing really well financially. Um, what do you say about, um, uh, uh, employee turnover? Employee turnover is, is initially it was a situation. Um, and I think a lot of that was fear. And also, again, they were the first ones. They were the first. Yeah. yeah so, um, so I feel very fortunate that I've been, uh, you know, three, I'm three years after the modern. Um, but we've actually had, um, we've had a very good experience with that at, at Portsite. And, um, again, it's been three months. Um, but we've had a very good experience with, with, uh, hospitality included so far. Right. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're having a good time at it. I'm glad it's uh, working out for you. <laughs> I'm still not convinced. Well, there you go. And, um, and I, think, I would you love know what? to the, see... The other thing is, we, we don't... I'm not here to convert anyone. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, that's that's something that's really important. It's it's whatever works for you. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I don't run my business the way you run your business in many ways, and, and that's that's okay. I think our ultimate goal, though, is... is our ultimate goals are pretty similar. One, right. One, I want to be... Um, known for being a hospitable, welcoming place. Right. Two, I want to serve good product, and three, I want to I want to make money doing that. Yep. So that's kind of the three guiding factors for me, and I'm yep. sure they're similar for you. Yeah, they are. Um, and I think for us, you know, we we have um, we have the staff experience as as really number one. You know, so for us, like given given the sort of principles of our business, if if Danny thought hospitality included would make it a horrible place to work then that really probably would have been out the door it, yeah and so you know I, I i think we've done a pretty good job of, of that so far and again i'm being really cautious here because we're the newbies doing this you know yeah well it's, that, you know, that's we're the thing. Whole, uh, 12 weeks in you mentioned right your 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 co-author does more data I, I'd, right. I'd be i'd be very yep. interested to see what 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 he can compile over the next couple of years yeah. uh, to be you know something we can look at as data it, it's funny as a matter of fact we actually talked about doing a uh a chapter on that in the book, but we didn't have enough data to do it. So, so I think that'll be a, the second edition. Yeah, right on. Yeah, uh, is your book going to be available in bookstores? Uh, pro- well, I, I don't. Is this more I don't of an academic it. book, right? I think no. It will be available through Cornell University Press, um, probably through Amazon uh, and Barnes and Noble. But I, I doubt it'll be right next to the, uh, you know, the John Grisham books at Hudson News uh, and JFK Airport. Um, but uh, it'll definitely be <laughs> a riveting. You know, wait, what should I get? To... Men's health or yeah. this? Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, it'll be right next to the in style. <laughs> uh, well, awesome, Mark Maynard. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show with us today. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule over there at uh, Union Square Hospitality Group in Porchlight and My all pleasure. the other things you have going on. Uh, what, let's talk real quickly before yeah. we shut it up. Uh, your, the classes that you do uh, are they just for uh, Cornell students, or are they um, like adjunct classes? Uh, the ones I do up there are for uh, for Cornell students, yeah. undergrad or grad students. But um, it's funny, Cornell is actually working on a on a summertime uh, institute, which uh, I hope to get involved with, which would be for 
for uh, consumers. For consumers, yeah. Cool. Which is cool. Well, maybe maybe you'll let me sneak up there and audit yeah. a class You're, or something. Hey, audit a class. We want you to teach a class. Well, yeah, I let's want, go. I want that too. Let's do All it. Right. Just I'm don't go to, in February like I'm going I'm, next week. I'm trying to change my my persona. I want to become you know more known as a teacher. Uh, we can work on that. An informational uh, you know resource. All right. I'm sure someone from Cornell is asking uh, <laughs> is listening right now. So we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll make sure they email you. Yeah, hit me up. Uh, all right, so uh, that's it for this week's uh, Speakeasy. I want to mention once again, um, on the 24th of February, I'm going down to New Jersey to see Francis Shot at his place, um, Stage Left. What's going on down there? We've got um, Martini, History, Culture, Technique, and Drinking with Dale DeGroff. Uh, Dale's going to hang out with Eric Anderson and talk about Hendrix Gin, um, their new... Um, uh, Orbium, which is infused with quinine, wormwood, and uh, blue lotus blossoms. So, you know, I'm totally interested because it's got quinine and wormwood in it. It's a bitter gin. It goes great in gin tonics. I'm excited to taste one in a martini. Um, this is not a plug that they paid for. This is just the thing I'm doing, and I want people to come do it with me. So, But you might owe Eric 20 bucks or something. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so if you've got time, Sunday, February 24th from 3.30 to 5 in New Brunswick, New Jersey, come hang out with me. I'm going to stay afterwards and have a steak at, uh, at Stage Left Steakhouse and and hang out with Francis Schott. Um, so love to see you all there. Uh, that's it for this week's Speakeasy. See you soon, guys. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte, and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform, and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting HeritageRadioNetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family and become a member. Thanks for listening.